identical to what I'm preaching on last Sunday night. It especially was true while I did not have the choir to sing after I preached because of the way that I had planned on uh, finishing the service. Uh, the song was just so fitting. We talked about faith and and about the growth of faith in, in the individual life. And the choir was singing about this. I thought the message that they portrayed uh, in their songs tonight just fit this, this message quite well. They should minister in song after I have brought the word of the Lord. I'd like to say also that I appreciate Brother Felix's message this morning. Preached an outstanding message. We've got some outstanding ministers in our congregation. Brother Downey preached last Sunday morning and preached a great message. Brother Cox has recently ministered to us. Brother Seidel. They've all done outstanding jobs. And of course, Brother O'Neill has ministered to us recently. He's done a a great job. The Lord has just been really good uh, to our congregation by giving us some uh, very good ministers. And the Lord has other young men here who will be called into the ministry. If the Lord is calling you in the ministry, don't fight it. Well, I don't think that you ought to jump in with both feet and both hands and... and uh, full swing without direction, certainly uh, you don't want to fight against it. You can lose your soul when you begin to fight against your, your ministry. I want to minister tonight from the Luke, the 12th chapter, and this is one of the nights that I really uh, wanted to minister on so many different subjects I couldn't make up my mind. There are certain things that just fit certain occasions, and there are certain things that just seem to, uh, some occasions it just seems like you could preach on anything and it would be right. Depends on the needs of the people. Of course, God sees your need. God knows your need. God is very, very concerned and sensitive toward the needs of people. I, I was all fired up to preach this morning. I came to church and found out Brother Felix was preaching. We have a schedule. And I came up here and looked. And I saw that uh, I wasn't even supposed to be preaching. So I just kind of canned that message. <clears throat> Maybe one of these days we'll open it up and uh, we'll chew on that again. Luke, the 12th chapter. <clears throat> Verse 32, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Praise God. You may be seated. I want to first say that I appreciate all of you for braving the weather. 
coming right out to church in a storm like this. Now, a lot of people are not here, and several people called and said, I just don't think I can chance it. So anything that I say tonight is certainly not reflective to the people who felt they could not go through the through the uh, storm or whatever it is we're having. Uh, <clears throat> today in a restaurant we were eating, and I asked the waitress, so, well, how are you? And she said, great, as long as the weather will hold out. Well, I told her, I said, well, don't have to worry about that. We'll always have weather. It'll hold out. <laughs> it might change, but we always have weather. And it is good to know that I am ministering to some people here who pay little or no attention to the weather. Now, there are certain circumstances that would uh, cause you to give a second thought to traveling. We have only canceled one or two services in the ten years that I've been pastor here because of the weather. And I'll tell you the reason why. is because uh, if you're working on a job, they won't, well, they won't close that uh, place of business down unless you just can't get there to perform your services. Uh, how many times do they close down uh, East Town or West Town? Especially during the Christmas shopping spree. I'm sure that they're going to keep it open. Now, my message tonight is aimed in that particular direction. You may say, well, Brother Grant, uh, it, the people who did not come, they're not here to hear what you have to say about it. But I, I will just be real honest with you. I, I had this all fixed up and prepared, not really knowing we're going to have this storm or whatever it is we're having. You may not call it a storm, but it kept some people home, so I suppose it's a storm to others. Now, I have noticed this, that <clears throat> when you are offering advice for people, such as, let's say, a seminar, it appears that the people who need it the most are the people who never hear it. And you will find that in life, that seems to be the trend. There are companies that design certain things to help certain employees only to find out that when those things are offered, uh, the very people that it's designed for never become partakers. So consequently, we have developed in our present world a little saying that goes like this, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. The strong get stronger and the weak get weaker. And you will find that in life in general, this is the particular trend. It does not mean that it has to be that way, but it, it is that way. In order for the beast of the field to survive, <clears throat> he has to be a very strong species. The fish of the lake, the strong ones dominate the weak. The beast of the field, the strong dominate the weak. The fowls of the air, the strong dominate the weak. While I am not saying that I feel in the kingdom of God we need to take advantage of weak people, 
I am just saying that this seems to be a principle that when there is something that is offered for strength, by and large, those people that need it the most seem not to partake of it. We can have ministers' meetings, and of course, even among leaders, there are some stronger leaders than others. Uh, as the superintendent of the state, I constantly try, by the help of the Lord, to to be aware of the needs of of the ministry. We recently had a minister seminar in Janesville that was so outstanding. Brother Pugh spoke so ably to the leaders of our our district and of course not only to the ministers but also to the lay leaders had several ministers to approach me and say you know this was such an outstanding meeting the problem is all of the lay leaders of my church who seem to have it on the ball so to speak they're all here but the people who need the most just didn't come how do you get the lay leaders who need it to come well, I instructed a couple of ministers that if they find a, an answer to that question, I'd like for them to share it with all of us, because this seems to be the particular pattern. And of course, the weaker ones continue to get weakened to the point in which then that they're replaced by stronger men. Now, I would also go... On further to say that that uh, we also had pastors who could not come. That I personally know that they were so very, very much in need of the minister's meeting. Many of them worked on jobs and had prevailing situations in which they could not overcome in order to make the meeting. But nevertheless, regardless of why... It is still true that the strong ones get stronger and the man who's pulled down by prevailing circumstances was given no help because of his absence to get stronger. So the strong get stronger and the weak consequently get weaker. Now, I'm not saying that I think it ought to be that way. All I'm saying is that it is that way. You know, there are certain things I don't agree with, but I am real enough in my thinking to know that they do exist. There are certain people that seem to have uh, innate uh, characters, or character rather, that uh, it just seems to be present in them toward defeat. They 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 just can't seem to... Ever get in step with life or in step with God? Brother Pugh spoke about getting in step with God. Didn't he say something about that at our meeting? This is something I have observed over a period of years in my preaching and teaching with people. You'll find certain people of your congregation that every service they have a problem. And uh, I know they're going to have a problem. And I know when I come to church that there are certain people that are always going to have a problem. They got a problem today, they'll have a problem Thursday night, they'll have a problem next Sunday morning, they'll have a problem next Sunday night. Now, <clears throat> please understand that if you do have a problem, I think you need to seek some help. Because if you're problem prone, 
and you don't seek help, you'll just self-destruct. Something will destroy your your walk with God. And I use the word self-destruct because some people get these things in their mind and they conjure these things and they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. There are other people that that seem to never have a problem. Does it mean they don't have a problem? We all have problems, all of us. But uh, some people know how to get over. They know how to work things out. They, they just they seem to get in harmony or in step with God. Now, if you would turn with me to the book of Isaiah, I want to just read uh, a scripture here that deals with Israel. And maybe for a while tonight... A lot of this message will not come together, and you'll wonder where we're going. But we trust by the end of it that you will understand what we're saying. From the book of Isaiah, the very first chapter, verse 3. The prophet Isaiah, who was a prophet to Judah before their exile, he warns the sinful nation of Judah. Now he was prophesying to Judah, not to the ten tribes of Israel. There were prophets that prophesied to Israel prior to their exile. Those prophets were Amos, Hosea, Obadiah, and Joel. Just thought I'd throw some of this in while you're turning. Uh, the prophets that prophesied to Judah <coughs> were Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Jeremiah. But notice what he had to say in verse 3 of chapter 1. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. In other words, <coughs> He was prophesying to a very disoriented group of people. Now, by disoriented, we mean, and maybe I could give you an example. We went to Great America, and I saw a guy get on one of these big things that throw him around real fast. Now, I don't know what they're called. And the bottom drops out of it. But they spin you around real fast. And then all of a sudden it comes to a halt. Of course the bottom comes back up before it comes to a halt. Uh, but uh, then it comes to a halt and you get out. And, and, and like the sidewalk leaves from the place and goes down this way. And he walks out this way. He's disoriented. He has lost his balance. His equilibrium is out of equal. <laughs> Something's not right. <clears throat> now, you see, that's what happened to Israel. Now, you see, when, when Isaiah prophesied, now this is what he said. He said, now we just want you to consider the beast of the field. Let's consider the ox and let's consider the ass. He said, now, both of them know their master's crib. They come in every day for food. Now, if they're that smart, what's wrong with Israel? 
She leaves God. She's disoriented. Now, to be disoriented, it just simply means that you get your priorities all mixed up and all confused. And, of course, I talk a lot about priorities, but, you see, I think the only way that you can ward off hypocrisy, and all of us have some elements of hypocrisy, that's why we have the grace of God, that's also why we have the mercy of the Lord. If people were perfect, as a lot of us think we are, we certainly wouldn't need the element of mercy that we find in God. But the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. And for poor people like me, uh, when I say poor people, I'm talking about a person who makes a lot of mistakes. I need that. You may not need that, but I need that mercy. I need it. I need it. And what he's saying is that, that uh, Israel just doesn't know where to feed. She doesn't know how to come into God. She doesn't know where to find her proper place. There's some people that seem to never find their channel in life. They just never do find it. They, they never have their priorities right. And if your priorities are not right, you can find that in your service of the Lord, you're your life becomes very hypocritical. Now, I'll just give you an example. And I said, the, the strong get stronger. You're here because you brave the storm. This is not to be reflected against anybody who is not here. There's some people who have great distances to drive. Some people because of health, because of age, because of uh, just a number of circumstances. Maybe some cars wouldn't start. I've had cars that you couldn't get, get to go if it just clouded up. You know, <clears throat> and uh, so, uh, but nevertheless, <clears throat> it is, it's always strange to me how that people can always make it to work, and uh, yet a uh, little something can happen, they can't make it to church, see? And uh, <clears throat> I think that all of us need to get in step with God enough to be real people and to be honest with ourselves. We just need to look at certain situations. If, uh, if today uh, were to have been the first day of deer season, the woods would have been packed. We would consider this to be an ideal day for deer hunting because of the snow. And I have driven all the way up north. When I say up north, I'm talking about further than Sun Prairie, you know, way up north. <laughs> when the snow was coming down, it's still dark. It's in the middle of the night. I say the middle of the night, it's like 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. I remember one time the snow was like this deep. We slid from ditch to ditch. Uh, we braved our way and we made it way up north. And, and uh, we consider it to be one of the best days deer hunting we've had in years. It would not have been a good time to go to church for some people. See, because it would be too rough. See, <clears throat> but you see, <clears throat> what we went after, and that is the deer, we didn't, we didn't hardly even consider the trip up north a part of the, the voyage itself or the experience. It was what happened after we got there. So we didn't worry too much about what was happening while we were getting there. It's what's going to happen after we get there. See, but to a lot of people, see, uh, what happens while you're going to church is 
is much more important than what happens when you get there. See? You got to follow what I'm saying. It becomes a sum total of the experience. It's not, not what you get when you get there, but it's what you have to go through to get what you're going to get. So consequently, the weather can keep a lot of people out of church. And I, I as I stated before, uh, even before the snow and everything hit, and before I knew it was coming down, I'd planned on saying what I'm saying and preaching what I'm preaching. So uh, it just happened this way. Maybe the Lord had a reason for it to happen. So you strong, brave, courageous, enduring, adventurous voyagers, uh, we're, we just want you to grow stronger as a result of, of what we're saying. But isn't it true that, that some people just seem to be destined to be successful? And some people just seem to be destined to be failures. I mean, you name it. I've had a lot of people even state to me, well, if it can go wrong around here, it will go wrong around here. You've heard that, haven't you? If it can happen to anybody, it'll happen to me. <clears throat> so, as a result, uh, <clears throat> you know, they, they're like Job, see. Job said, the thing that I feared most of all has come upon me. While Job was considered to be a perfect man, you can't get much better than that. And all of us have situations in our life, even when God looks at us through His blood, we certainly have situations that we can improve on. And it appears that Job, the testimony of his heart was, I always knew this would happen, and sure enough, it did. <clears throat> See? While he was a very successful man, there is an element of negativeness found in all of us. But... Uh, I want to call your attention to a couple of scriptures. If you will take and turn with me to Ephesians 2, I think it is. Ephesians 2. Verse 1, And you have he quickened who were led in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, <coughs> the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now notice what he says. There is a spirit that works in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, in conjunction with this, I'd like for you to turn to Second Peter 2. And we want to read uh, a scripture here that I think Peter talks, uh, picks up on this very same subject that Paul is talking about. Second Peter 2, verse... Uh, <clears throat> let's, let's read verse 10. We'll start there. But chiefly them that walk after the lust, after the flesh, pardon me, in the lust of uncleanness, and despise government, presumptuous, are they 
self-will, and are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts. Notice what it's saying. Made to be taken and destroyed. Now it appears that what, <clears throat> what Peter is saying, very similar to what Paul is saying, we'll stop there for just for a moment, that, that some people are made to go to hell. Now that appears that that's what he's saying. Now you and I know <clears throat> that in the proper context in which this is written, that what he's saying is that there are people because of what they do that they are destined to go to hell. They know that what they're doing is not right, but they do not have the willpower to change what they're doing. And you have heard me make this statement over and over and over. Sin is designed by the devil to destroy your will. And when your will is destroyed... You can't be saved. And you remain in that impossible condition until the grace of God or the mercy of God touches you and your will then is revived. Now sometimes certain situations can come and leave its mark upon you that causes you to think about eternity and about God and you change your mode of thinking and your willpower begins to restore itself like a battery that charges itself when acid is placed in it. And this is what happens sometimes to the will. Now, for an example, let's say that you don't want to go to church and you don't want to serve God and you think it's all crazy and it's no good and... And, you know, you can be thinking that way. You can even be thinking that way at the time in which the accident occurs. But all of a sudden, let's say on a slippery road, you lose control of your car. It's a helpless feeling to be going down the road with that thing spinning end around end. You have no control over it, no power over it. And all of a sudden, you end up in the ditch. Now, you're in a borrowed car. And uh, you promise to drive it with care. It's a nice new car. Your neighbor loaned it to you. Now all of a sudden you've got the daylight scared out of you. You almost had a bad wreck with a semi coming in the opposite direction. And so when you hit the ditch, you pray. Now, all of a sudden... The will begins to regenerate itself like the dead battery that has had a shot of new acid in it. See? Now, once your willpower reaches a particular place, you can be saved. But you see, what Peter is talking about is people who just give themselves over the devil. Now, the devil's plan is to take children, I mean children adolescents, uh, <clears throat> take those innocent adolescents and, and, and allow them to partake in certain adult, quote-unquote, activities, 
make them feel sexier, make them feel more mature than what they are, wrap them around his finger and destroy their willpower. There are a lot of prostitutes that walk the streets. There are a lot of dope addicts that sit in psych wards. There are a lot of murderers behind prison bars that are crying bitter tears of remorse, but they can't do anything about what they're involved in because they don't have the willpower to break out of that particular rut that they're in. And they'll stay that way until such a time that they can break out of that rut that they're in. But as long as their will is subjected to the devil, they are no more than just brute beasts for hell. The devil makes it that way. Now, let's read all of the scripture. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not. Now, you've seen people do this, haven't you? You know, you write a lot, you read a lot of articles recently in the Christian Courier. We've made reference to this. Uh, Somebody brings an article in. Well, it's very evident that this writer of this article has little or no knowledge of the oneness. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. And every now and then you'll hear somebody say, Don't go over there to certain, certain church, and so forth and so on. You know, when you pray, you need to pray for Sister Ella Ray. She's in the hospital, and I was down to see her, and she wept and cried. She said, you know, I've been coming to your church a couple of months now, and and what they're telling me is that that, that this religious, this new religious thing is making you crazy. I've got her believing that. Now, when I say they have her believing that, no, they really don't have her believing that. She told me, she said, but they don't understand what they're talking about. She said, you know, the counselor comes in here and the counselor bowed her head and said, Ella, can I pray with you? And Ella says, I prayed, but deep down inside I thought, hon, if you only knew what I knew, you're not on the right path. See? She said, well, I've taken nerve pills all my life. See? She said, the only thing wrong with me is I want to make sure when I die that I'm right with God. And she said, here I am and I can't get out. And, of course, her nephew took her down there. He doesn't have a lot of good things to say about the church. But, you know, it's all out of ignorance. He doesn't have any idea what we believe and teach. See? And that's what that that's exactly what Peter is saying. There are people that go around and running off at the mouth all the time and they have no earthly idea what they're talking about. None at all. <clears throat> so they speak evil of the things that they understood not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. In their own corruption. In their own corruption. Now, going back to the story in Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was having this to say. He said, you know, now, Israel, you think you're so high and you're so mighty and you think you're so smart. He said, now, destruction is coming. 
And of course, prophecy was given out time after time after time, just like it's being given out here in America. Israel was very self-willed. Even the things that they did uh, relative to their walk with God, they were so hypocritical in them. But they wouldn't listen. Why? Because they were just too smart to listen. I mean, just plain too smart to listen. They knew too much. They were an educated people now. They've been in a promised land for a long, long time. But Isaiah said, now, won't you just consider a common fact of life? And then he tells this story about the beast. Now, If you've ever been in the Eastern world, and this is pretty well true throughout Europe and also throughout the Eastern world, right inside of the villages, they have a lot of their farmhouses. The farms actually are located outside of the villages, but there are a group of homes there. You know, when Jesus was born, they went to Bethlehem. But there was a stable right in the middle of the city. There was no room in the inn for Mary and Joseph, so they took a stable. Now, most places in the Mideast, the barns are actually part of the house. They may have the barn underneath or the barn on one end and so forth, but here's here's the, the master. And uh, he has his cattle. He has his cows, his ox, his ass, and all of the sheep and so forth. Many times right in the same house that he lives in. But because that they have other occupations and other interests outside of just farming, but they need all of these animals for their basic livelihood, then uh, there will be one individual, maybe a, a young lad, who will be responsible for the herding of all of the cows to and from the village. And so what the young man would do in the morning when the master would go down and open the, the gate or the door to the, to the crib, uh, the animals that were kept there in... In captivity that night, they were wanting to get out and roam the fields, so they had the trails that that led out in the fields. And uh, here this young man would take uh, with the old gold, the stick with a sharp instrument, and uh, he would stand and and make sure that they all got started in the right direction, and he would head them out to the fields. They'd stay out there unattended all day long. Now, sheep that had a shepherd, that was a different story. Altogether, because sheep are very vulnerable. Uh, and so usually the shepherd stayed with them all day. But the oxen, the beast of burden, the ass, uh, that was not true. They just turned them loose at random. And so they just ate and ate and stayed in a general herd. Late in the afternoon before dark, <coughs> here this young man would go back out into the fields... And uh, he would just start calling all the animals. And he'd get them all together there. 
usually having a little bucket of feed or something, they'd come to him. And he'd start walking toward the village. When he'd get inside of the village, he'd just uh, uh, take and go his own way. And the animals never made a mistake. They always found their path that led to their own house. They walked down that path precisely. They went through the same door every day. They went inside of that barn right to the same stall every day. They never made a mistake. They knew where food was, and they went after it. Nobody had to show them their stall. Nobody had to point them down the right path. Nobody had to take and point out their house to them. They knew it. And they went there. And what the prophet Isaiah is saying, it seems strange to me, Israel, that God has been your shepherd and watched over you. He's allowed you to roam out in the wilderness for some 40 years. But he took you back home to Palestine, out of Egyptian captivity. Made sure that you were on your right path. Put you inside of your own stall and fed you. But as soon as God gave you the liberty to leave your house and stray out on your own one day, you became disoriented. And you didn't find your way back to your own stall. And you know... (coughs) This is what happens to a lot of people. Now, if you take the cows and you leave them out a few days, and there were times in in the year in which the cows would not return. They stayed out day after day after day. Then they became disoriented. And because their memory is not like our memory, then uh, they couldn't remember what path to walk down. And they couldn't remember what house to go in. And they couldn't remember what stall they had eaten in. And there seemed to be a whole lot of people that I personally deal with that seemed to be disoriented all the time. They never seemed to really get in step or in tune with God. You know, there are some people that you've got to tell them everything they ought to do and everything they ought not to do. You've got to say, you can't do this. And you've got to do this. And you can't do this. And you've got to do this. And here's what you do here. And here's what you do there. Make sure that you do this. And make sure you do that. Uh, If you don't do it, they can't find their own way through life. They just plain can't find their own way through life. Now, I believe that they have the ability. Now, I'm talking about spiritual things. I believe they have the ability to do that. Because I go into their homes and I see that you know, without any outside assistance, they purchase their own cars, even pick out their own colors. You know? <clears throat> they buy their own clothes that fit them. They paint the walls of their home the, 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 the colors that, that uh, seem to match and go together. But why is it then, in a spiritual sense, they never seem to get in step with God? 
Don't you think it's because that their priorities are not quite right? That they do not give as much thought to life in general as they need to. They become disoriented. And you know, without proper priorities, you will become disoriented. I would say that I'm speaking to a lot of people here tonight. That if, if I were to ask you, and you gave me a personal answer. Sir, what would you like to do in life for God? You couldn't really tell me. And I will assure you of this one thing. That if you don't know what you want to do, you will not do anything. You really won't. You just will not do anything. Now you see, these people over in the book of Ephesians and the book of Peter that we talked about. Now these people, they didn't just set out a goal to go to hell. The reason why that they ended up where they ended up as brute beasts for eternity is because that all they did was they just kind of submitted their will to prevailing circumstances. Just whatever. It's live and let live. Follow the lust of my heart, the desires of my mind, and I'll just do whatever I want to do. There are a lot of people that live their lives just doing what they want to do. They always have this deep down desire inside that one of these days I'm going to step out of the particular path that I'm in and I'm going to be better and bigger and more successful than I've ever been before. But they never do it simply because on a daily basis, every day, they just do what they feel like doing. Now, I believe that you are in church on this stormy December night. That you're here because you definitely have the quality that you need in order to be successful for God. Now, when I started out serving God some years ago, I wanted to be more than just an average Christian. As far as I can see in the Scripture, while it's necessary that we have prayer warriors and people uh, uh, that uh, are of average caliber, when I say average caliber, I'll qualify that as we go along. I believe that inside of every person, in his very being, that he needs to establish some priorities so that he is not constantly disoriented. And there are some people that are always disoriented in their Christian walk with God. They're always changing. You know, Jesus spoke in Matthew 23, seven woes to the, to the hypocritical Pharisees. Now, a hypocrite is a person who play acts the part of somebody else. In other words, their actions are constantly struggling against their inner character. They're always concerned about making a splash or or this, that, and the other. Uh, young people go through that stage where they they're more concerned about what uh, image they have 
Well, I believe that we all should be concerned. There shouldn't be a ba- an over or an imbalance. There should not be an imbalance to the to the point that we are portraying something that we're not. You know, it's like humility. You know, humility is not trying to be like an old worn out shoe. True humility is just being yourself. Because there is such a thing as being proud that you're humble. And you find a lot of people that way. They'll just dress in such a way that, that, that everybody will notice them. I remember talking one time to a man, and he told me, he said, Well, he said, you know, humility has always been my biggest character trait. God's dealt with me. I go down to the, I buy all of my clothes. At Salvation Army or Goodwill or, or uh, someplace like that. He buys them all there. Now, if you happen to have garments on that came from Salvation Army, please take what I'm saying in its proper context. But you see, he tried to get things out of stock. He drove older cars. He told me, he said, I intentionally do this because uh, the Lord resisteth the proud. But you see, he went so overboard, he was proud over the fact he was humble. Look at my car. It's an old car. Look how I'm dressed. You know, that's what he was saying. You know, he said, I do the Lord's against all these modern styles. He said, what do you think about it? Well, I said, I don't want to put myself in a position which I... I judge you or anybody else. He said, no, Brother Grant, I want you to tell me. What do you think about it? He said, you know, you see all these men, every time something new comes out, they go out and they buy the, the most modern styles. And so he said, what do you think? I said, well, <clears throat> now I don't like to pass judgment, but uh, you've asked me, but I'll, let me just tell you what I think personally. You see, I think the man who gets... Uh, who breaks his neck to buy the most modern styles is in the very same category of the man who breaks his neck to make sure he's not getting anything that's stylish. He said, well, now how do you explain that? Well, I said, I explain it like this. You see, the man runs out to the store. He buys the most modern styles. Nobody's ever seen a tie like my tie. Nobody ever has ever worn shoes like my shoes. And so he puts them on. Well, naturally he's proud. He gets rid of them five or six years later. He deposits them someplace on a local corner. They're taken over to Goodwill Industries. And then you walk to buy them. <laughs> See? <clears throat> So you see, both of you, it appears to me, have problems. Modesty and humility in the Scripture is just being yourself. Finding your location in life and not be worried so much about what everybody's thinking about what you're doing. And I definitely believe that that's what it's all about. I definitely believe that that's what it's all about. And so, 
we become so disoriented at times because we do not have established in our own mind exactly what we want to do. When I started out serving God, I what really changed me and my thinking as much as anything was my reading of the Old Testament. Now, a lot of people don't like to read the Old Testament because they say there's too many genealogies there. Too much of the Old Testament is just it's just taken up in, in this particular vernacular. And so-and-so beget so-and-so, they had sons and daughters, and they died. And so-and-so beget so-and-so, they had sons and daughters, and they died. Now, it may surprise you, but that did me more good when I heard that or read that than any part in the Bible since the Lord filled me with, the sal- with salvation. Because as I began to read this and I began to look at life, I thought, John, now you're walking down the very same paths that other men have trod. There is no new thing under the sun. The same situations that these men of old had, you have. Now, the problem is that a lot of people are satisfied with only one or two goals in life. I just want to be a good person, raise my family, and pass all my earthly possessions to somebody else. And the most that can be said about me when I die is that I had three boys and a lot of grandkids, and that's it. Well, I think it's great to have children. I think it's great to be alive and to be a part of the human race. There's got to be more to life than just having a home and children. And and please, I've got children that are listening to me. I love my children dearly. I love my wife dearly. But you see, the truth of the matter is, in all the pages of the Old Testament, so much is taken up. In other words, what did they actually do? Well, they really never did much. When the command was given to Adam and Eve to multiply and replenish the earth, that seemed just to be their goal, and that was it. You know? I've heard a lot of people say, well, all I'm living for is just to see my children marry. And after the children marry, then they change and say, well, all I'm living for now is just to see my grandchildren marry. Have you heard that, haven't you? Well, I've heard a lot of people say that. I've been told that. By, and I appreciate my granddaughter, oh, do I ever appreciate her. Don't you think she's cute? Don't you think she looks just like me? Not really. Otherwise, she wouldn't be so cute. <clears throat> you, know what? you know what somebody told me? <laughs> somebody said, uh, you know, when I first came to this church, I went home. My husband didn't come, and so... so uh, he said, well, what about the preacher? She said, he looks like a gangster. <laughs> I never thought about that, but I got to looking since you said that. <clears throat> 
I sure would like to tell who said that, but I I better not. (laughs) Her face would be as red as her her blazer. That'd be bad. (laughs) But I'll tell you. (laughs) Oh. You know, seriously speaking. Well, let me let me add this. So you know, she saw Brother Cisco's picture there, and she said he looks just like an FBI agent. And I said, an FBI agent. When I came in, you told me I looked like a gangster. (laughs) What a contrast, you know. Well, but isn't it strange, though, really? When you think about it, that some people do live all their life so disoriented that they really never amount to anything. Now I want you to give some serious thought to what I'm saying because I'm preaching to people tonight who have very definite potentials of doing great things for God. Turning cities upside down. Preaching the gospel in foreign countries and seeing souls baptized In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Ghost. One person from the foreign field asked me this question. Not from the foreign field, but from the foreign missions department. They said, you know, Brother O'Neill's considered foreign missions. How sure are you that George O'Neill would make a missionary and win souls? I said, I have this much confidence. You can put him in a parachute, in a plane, and drop him out any place on the planet Earth. And you can go there ten years from now and there will be a church. I don't care where it is. He will change the people that he rubs shoulders with. He will have an effect upon them. Why? Because he's not a mediocre Christian. While he loves his family and his wife, he's not just interested in just having a little place out on the corner someplace in sun prayer and saying, This is the sum total of my livelihood. He's not that type of person. Now I know that a lot of you will never move from the house you're in. And I'm not saying that you ought to. I don't know that I'll ever move from the house that I'm in. But I'm saying that if you should, or if if God wants you to, you ought to. And you ought to be willing to do anything that God wants you to do. For there are many of us who God will leave in a particular location. But you see, on the other hand, we can't be so disoriented that all of our life is just this, this little house and this little car and, and this here and this here and oh, look at this and look at that. And that's it. No, my friend, God put us in this world because there was an unfinished task. He put us in this world because it is His pleasure to give us His kingdom. You see, God has something bigger and He has something better than just this little home out on Fallon Road for me. But He's saying, you know, you get so comfortable and get so wrapped up in mediocrity that uh, 
that the sum total of your living is just 4873 Felon Road, and you're happy with that, and that's about it, and so forth and so on, then that's, that's going to be your reward. But he said, if you're laying up treasures in heaven, praise God. I'll tell you what, I've got my sights set on something better than this building here. I've got my sights set on something better than the one we're going to build out on Commercial Avenue. I've got my sights set on something better than the house that I live on, on 4873 Felon Road. Praise God. And you know what he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Praise God. And I'll tell you what, you know, a lot of people do a lot of different things. Because they, they put their treasures in certain places. And their heart just gravitates toward their treasures. The prodigal son became so disoriented that he left the father's house. And isn't it true, let me just throw this in for good measure tonight. Isn't it true, you miss a few services. I'm talking to people who don't miss much. But you walk back in the house of God and you feel disoriented, don't you? You sure do. I'll tell you what I can do. I can go up there and work at camp for three solid weeks before camp starts. I can go up there and start the camp because I'm in charge of the camp. Get everything rolling and and come home for one day, which I have to do sometime. I've had to do that a couple of times for hospital calls and for funerals and such. I can come and miss a night or so and I go back up there and I feel like a stranger. I walk on the campground, everybody's praising God, everybody's enjoying the blessings of the Lord, and I walk in there, and I'm so disoriented. It's like, I don't even belong here, I don't fit here. And I can go in a service, and at the very first note on the piano of the organ, people are standing and clapping their hands and praising God and shouting the victory, and here I am. Well, I, I'm saved, I, I, but I'm, I'm disoriented. I, I'm just not kind of with it or something, I don't know. I love God, I'm worshiping God, I'm praising God, but, but all of a sudden, after about 30, 40 minutes, you know, and I just clap my hands and praise the Lord, and, and I get back with the group. I'm not disoriented anymore. In other words, I find my own stall, my own eating place. I found my own way back to where real productivity and growth is. You know, there are a certain number of people that I have been associated with that don't, they, they never like to commit themselves. I've asked people to do things. There's a certain group of people that always responds like this. Well, I really wouldn't want to commit myself. Now, you think about that for a moment. The sum total of Christianity is commitment. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want anybody depending on me to do anything at any particular time. You know what that reminds me of? A stray dog. You ever seen a stray dog? He's a dog that eats at everybody's table. Now you'd think a dog that eats at everybody's house and everybody's table would be a big fat dog. But I've been associated with a few stray dogs. The dog that's tied by the back door, that has a nice warm place to sleep. The dog that's watched over by a master 
You know what happens? The master goes down every week and picks out high-protein food for him. Puts, puts straw in his house. Moves the door around so that the, the, the northwest wind can't blow in it. Shelters him, takes care of him. Sure, there's a rope there, but friend, he's eating all the time. He's happy. But the stray dog always has a complex. If you see one running across the field, he's got his tail tucked between his legs. You pick up your binoculars and you look. His backbone looks like a miniature dinosaur. Ribs protruding out. He doesn't like the chain. But where does he sleep every night? He never has a comfortable place to sleep. Does he? No. He never gets a balanced meal. Never. Never gets a balanced meal. Isn't it good to be committed to a cause? Now, I don't know. You may say, well, Brother Grant, I thought when the Lord saved you that He gave you liberty and He gave you freedom. He gave you liberty and freedom from sin. But there are, there are cords of love that bind us to obligations and responsibilities. That are far greater than personal ones. Praise God. I'll tell you what. As I bring this message to a close. I feel so responsible. To the cause of the Lord. Really. And I know that you do also. And as I said. There are a lot of people not here tonight. And this is, no, this is not to be reflected against them. I had a number of calls come in tonight. Very legitimate. A lot of people are sick. But I do feel that my life is, is worthwhile. I really do. And if you're feeling that somehow your life is just not worthwhile, and you're, you need to get in step with God. How do I do that? You need to start out by never missing a service. You need an orientation in the Holy Ghost that puts you in step with God. You need to just start doing everything you can do for people and for the cause of the Lord. Get yourself involved. You've got to find your own ministry. I can't tell you what your ministry is, but, but get out of the rut of mediocrity. And run the ridges, the highways, with the Master. There's a great job for you to do in this world. And you've got your life. And you've got your ministry. And especially because I'm preaching to a lot of young people. I don't want to bore you with a, a long message tonight. But, but let me tell you something. I believe that every young person here, you need to have dreams and visions and you need to see that, that you carry those things out as much as possible. See, much of the Psalms were written in 
the, the midlife of a man by the name of David who had failed God drastically. But if you read the young days of David's life, he was a dreamer. But you see, he failed God. Lived a good portion of his life in mediocrity. Didn't excel the way that he should have excelled. You see, what happens to me, and this is one of the greatest challenges of my life now. You see, when I was your age, I used to think about what I was going to do when I'm my age. But you see, tomorrow for me means what? Because when I think of tomorrow, what do I think of? I look at myself in the mirror. I think of a man with gray hair. I think of a man whose hair is thin. I think of a man who's getting older. I think of a man who's reaching the end of the road. You see, when you get my age, you don't like to dream too far in advance. I know what I'm talking about. Why? Because it leads you so close to the end. And you see what will happen if you don't set goals and set priorities and dream dreams and work to see those things fulfilled when you're at your age, when you get my age, you're going to be in bad shape. And this is the reason why that most people, when they get in their 40s and 50s, if they have never done something for God, they never will do it. Why? Because they don't like to dream. Because all they can see when they dream is somebody they don't like to see. Somebody recently wrote a book on man in midlife crisis. And that's what the book's all about. I was given the book and I haven't really had time to read it all. But I've looked a little bit of it. But basically, that's what the Psalms were about. This is the reason why that some of the saddest pages ever penned are penned in the Psalms. By a man who had failed God in his midlife. Praise God. You vigorous young people, work out those problems in your life. Get in step with God, get in tune with God. We've got some people, we've got young preachers here. That when you're my age, listen, you're going to be pastoring churches bigger than any church in the UPC right now. Why? Because, you see, there has been pumped into you and poured into you so many life-giving experiences and so much teaching and such. But this is what all of life is designed to be. And my prayer is that every person that preaches the gospel leaves Calvary Gospel Church to be a better preacher than me. But let's find our place in God. And let's be dedicated to that cause. You see, there is not one thing that you will ever do in God that will make you successful. Because success in God is predicated upon continual occurrences. The ox found his place 
every day. He went back every day. Your prayer life should be consistent on a daily basis. How often do you pray through? Every day. A couple of mornings ago I got up. And when I got up there was a demanding situation that caused me to get out of the bed running. And after a couple of hours of work, I literally felt inside. I felt sick right in here. I said, my Lord, what is happening to me? Jesus, I want you. I don't feel right. I feel, I, I just feel, and I happen to think, wait a minute. I came out of the bed running. I haven't prayed today. So I found my place back. In my own crib. In my own stall. And you're going to find that when you get in tune with God that way. You're going to be happy and you're going to be successful. You know people are basically creatures of habit. They really are. You take your young child. You take any baby from this congregation. And you let that baby sleep in his own crib. Two or three months straight. And then take him over to somebody else's house. And see if he's going to rest. He won't do it. He's going to cry until you get him back home and get him back inside of his own bed. And it's that same way with Christians. You pray at the altar two or three days straight. You really pray through. And then you try a day in which you don't pray through. And you mark it down. You're going to be frustrated and confused. And it's going to be like the whole chemistry of your body is out of balance. And it's almost like you're going insane. Like you don't even know what's happening. You become disoriented. Find your way back to Calvary and to the cross. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. The soul winners that are successful are people who've been witnessing for years. The prayer warriors who pray intercessory prayer are people who on a daily basis over a given period of time they go and pray every day. The people who are blessed financially of God is not the man who drops in his tithing every now and then, but it's somebody over a consistent period of time who tithes. This is the way God's plan is designed. Why? Because it's designed to change the man, to make a new creature out of him. To put him in a new path, in a new crib, eating new food. But he's got to do it every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, I feel the Spirit of the Lord here. Let's lift our hands right now and let's just worship God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. We want the choir to come right now. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And while they're coming, we want you to continue to pray. We want you to think about your own life. Take inventory right now. Praise God of what you're doing and what you need to be doing. Praise God. Have you found your ministry in God? Have you found your place in God? Praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.
Creation 